We are uh, kind of entering the last turn for Leviticus. So we uh, have spent a great deal of time in here. Uh, we'll basically wrap up. There's five Sundays in May, so uh, we should be done by the end of May. And then on June 5th, the first Sunday in June, will be our 10-year anniversary. So if you're bummed out from that, then God bless you. You can keep reading on into Numbers. If you're excited to maybe move into a different book, New Testament, you would probably be in the majority. Uh, but Leviticus really is a great book. Uh, one of the things we talked about as elders is that uh, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy 3.16, and he said that all scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, uh, the New Testament was still being written. It hadn't been widely circulated yet. And so the idea is that he was probably thinking primarily of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Leviticus as crazy as it is and as awkward as it is for our kind of 21st century uh, culture and sensibilities, uh, it is profitable to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I think Bill has done uh, a really great job uh, fleshing that out, making us aware of that fact. And so he's had kind of all the hard chapters, so I get to kind of come in uh, you know, uh, conveniently for me, uh, with the later chapters, which are kind of a little bit more easy to connect to, like, ways we can understand. So we're finishing out Leviticus 23. This is the, the chapter that looks at this idea of the annual feasts, uh, the calendar of Israel. And so Steve, two weeks ago, looked at the Sabbath, which is part of this chapter. Bill, last week on Easter, uh, looked at the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we're going to kind of zoom back out and then just kind of look at the chapter as a whole. We're going to quickly blow through uh, the remainder of the feast and then how they then apply to us as New Covenant believers. And so the idea of a calendar, a feast festival calendar, we can really relate to. We have uh, holidays that kind of set the pattern of our year. We have New Year's Day. We know that's a time where we look forward to the new year. We reflect upon the previous year seeing where we did well, where we did poorly, and then turn to the new year, hoping we can improve that. For our area, we know Memorial Day. Memorial Day is essentially the kickoff of our summer season, of our tourist season. The Shubies will be descending upon us like the arrows in the 300 movie that will blot out the sun. We know they're coming. It's very soon they are coming. Fourth of July is, is kind of what it means to be American. We, we gather together. We have rituals that we perform. We go and see fireworks. We barbecue. Pittman's already probably got his barbecue planned for the Fourth of July, or you're thinking of it now. And so we reflect on, on American ideals. What does it mean to be American? The Fourth of July, we may not think of it, but is it, is it baseball? Is it hot dogs? Is it our kind of rugged individualism? Is it that American dream, that American spirit? Labor Day is the day we all long for come the 4th of July, which is the end of the summer season, at least for those who are in more tourist industries. I work for the state, so we're just, we're on vacation all the time, pal. <laughs> That's how you do it. Thank you for your tax dollars. We occasionally work. Come the wintertime, you're grateful for us, but the rest of the year, you're not very pleased with us. Um, Oh, where was I? Oh, and then Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the time where we gather. There's a gathering. There's a reflection. We, we, we are grateful for the things that we have, and then the next day we go out and buy more stuff on Black Friday. So there's rituals that we do. We also have Easter and Christmas. Last week was a regular Easter. For those who follow the calendar, it's Orthodox Easter. So it's that weird branch of Christianity that nobody knows about. Very mysterious, Eastern Orthodoxy. Look it up. Google it. And then we have Christmas. Christmas is, a, is the Eastern Christmas are kind of these remnants of what used to be the church calendar, the liturgical year. 
You had Pentecost, Epiphany, uh, many new Lent, the Holy Week. These are all remnants of a calendar that set the pattern of the year, which pointed to the gospel. And so essentially, that's what chapter 23 is. Chapter 23 is God appointing feasts, appointing times, appointing festivals, which are setting the calendar, setting the pattern of the Israelite year. And so we're transitioning to this concept of sacred time. We've looked at sacred space, we've looked at sacred acts, we've looked at sacred people, and so now we're dealing with sacred time. Uh, and as Steve pointed out a couple weeks ago when he touched on the Sabbath, this chapter very prominently features this number seven. Seven is really littered throughout the entire chapter, and it, it kicks off with the Sabbath, the seventh day that they are to consecrate as solemn rest to their God. And so the chapter then moves from that weekly holy time to these annual holy times, these feasts. And within these six annual feasts, guess what? There are seven particular days of rest. So there again is our number seven. And so this is to give the entire year almost a weekly Sabbath feel. And the Sabbath, as you read in the book of Exodus, if you're working through the story of God bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them out of slavery, uh, the Sabbath becomes the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And so this focus on seven in this, this calendar year is to meant to drive the people back to reflect upon the Sabbath, which is then to drive them back to remember the covenant that they entered into with God, that they are to be his treasured possession, that they are to be a holy, consecrated, set-apart nation for his purposes, that they are to be a kingdom of priests reflecting his nature, his character, his statutes to the nations around him. And so... Uh, kicking off in chapter 23, we read in verse 2. Give me one second here. Where am I at? There we go. All right. Uh, the Lord tells Moses, go and speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are my appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. And so the first thing out of the, out of the gate that sets and frames this chapter is these feasts focus on the Lord. They are the Lord's appointed feasts. They are to be holy convocations, which is a word that none of us know. It just means gathering or assembly. So why the ESV chose to use convocations to just make us all look stupid because we had to look it up in a dictionary, I don't know. But essentially, it's just a holy gathering. It is a sacred assembly. And so a point of contrast, obviously, with these holidays compared to our holiday, holidays is these are appointed by the Lord. These are commanded by God to be performed, unlike the 4th of July, unlike New Year's Day. And so that'll come into play later uh, in the sermon. And so uh, kind of an interesting thing, I think, with this chapter is the idea that we've had the Exodus. We've had this great Red Sea parting moment where God has redeemed Egypt with a mighty hand, with outstretched arms. And, and so often we want that Red Sea moment. We want our Christianity to be these moments of high points on the mountain when the overwhelming majority of the time, God teaches us through the mundane. He teaches us through the ordinary to then reflect and remember that even in the most tiniest detail, he is still sovereign. He is still God. And so with that, we'll jump in really quickly uh, through the feast. And so the first one is the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, Bill basically touched on that last week, so I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that sermon. But basically, this feast kicked off the first month of the year for the Israelites. This was uh, the Passover meal where then God is bringing them out of Egypt and, Egypt, and this kicks off their year. And so it is, it is a time where they remember that their God is the God who redeems, that they're to remember the Exodus story. Uh, the next feast is the Feast of First Fruits. And so Lord says to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, when you come into the land, 
Bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest. You are to offer it the day after the Sabbath of that first harvest week. And so this is kicking off essentially their uh, harvest season, their harvest calendar. And so on the back of your lyric sheets, uh, I just, I, in my old age, I prefer visuals. And so I have both the uh, kind of the structure, a table of the feast, and then their harvest season. So if you want to look at that, just to give yourself a frame of reference, hopefully that's helpful to you. But essentially, this is them offering the first fruits of the new harvest season. And so they are remembering, first of all, they are not to partake of the new harvest until they offer this first fruits. And essentially, this is to, for them to remember that their God is their provider. He is the one that gives them blessing and favor to then have an abundant harvest, harvest and that he also will be their provider because this is the kickoff, the beginning of the harvest season. Uh, coming on to the next feast is the Feast of Weeks. Now, the Feast of Weeks is very much connected to the Feast of First Fruits. First Fruits sets the count or sets the stopwatch uh, for the Feast of Weeks. And so we see in verse 15, you shall count seven full weeks. So again, seven sevens from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, which is the feast, the offering of the first fruits. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. You shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling two loaves of bread. And so the Feast of First Fruits, they just simply bring a sheaf of the wheat, of the barley. But then the Feast of First Fruits, they are to then actually bake this, their millet, and bake it into bread. And then offer this before the Lord. Verse 18, and following basically says that they bring a burnt offering. They're to bring a grain offering. They bring a sin offering. They bring a peace offering. I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to Bill's sermons when he talked through those chapters. Uh, chapter 1, 2, 3 basically is burnt grain and peace offering. And so those offerings weren't necessarily offered by the individual. They were offered by the entire community because the Feast of Weeks uh, is one of the three pilgrimage festivals when all the males of Israel are required to appear before God. First one being unleavened bread, next one being weeks, the last one being the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And so that would be uh, an an offering offered by the community as they are in a holy convocation, a sacred assembly, gathering for worship before God. Uh, our next feast is the Feast of Trumpets. So the, the first two feasts, three feasts, uh, set the first half of the calendar year. And then the Feast of Trumpets kicks off kind of the second half of the year. Uh, we read, the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 23, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you, all, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. Memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to the Lord. And so uh, these trumpets were most likely silver trumpets that we read about in Numbers chapter 10. Uh, in verse 10 of that chapter, we read, On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder to you before the Lord, I am the Lord your God. And so the interesting thing is that verse is that they are to blow these trumpets for the beginning of every new month. So then what is different? What is unique about this Feast of Trumpets? Why is this being set apart? Well, again, it comes back to our number seven. This is the seventh month. This is the month that, that marks completion, that marks perfection. So this is the end of their harvest season, and it is to be a time where they're preparing their hearts ultimately for the next feast. They're to remember their God for the feast that is coming the Day of Atonement. Uh, this uh, trumpet blowing is a memorial. It is a remembrance. I love the way, uh, as I was preparing the, the commentator put it, he said, the blowing of the trumpets 
was therefore a musical prayer, acknowledging and requesting the Lord's favor. And since the Lord is the one commanding them to do this, it is his assurance that he will hear their prayer. And I thought that was great because in the New Testament, we see the Lord, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, commanding us to pray at all times, to pray without ceasing. And so in the same way as New Covenant believers, we are commanded to pray, and we have the assurance that through Christ, God will hear our prayer because it's ultimately the one, he is the one who's commanding us to do it. And so this feast is essentially, Lord, remember your covenant, remember your relationship with us, and then respond appropriately. So the next feast is the Day of Atonement. Bill covered that excellently in chapter 16. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. It's, it's vital because the Day of Atonement is really the center of the book of Leviticus. It is the heart, it is the core, it is the foundation of the book of Leviticus, and really of the entire Pentateuch. That if you enter into the biblical story that God made mankind in his image to reflect him, to be his representative, and then Adam and Eve rebel, they are then sent into exile. And so then the tension throughout the story of the entire biblical story is how does humanity return to God's favor, return to God's presence, return to God's blessing as those who are exiled, those who are defiled from sin, those who are ritually uh, impure. And so the Day of Atonement essentially is the foreshadowing. It answers that question temporarily, but ultimately points to Christ. So it is a sum summarizing that is the removal, the cleansing of the people's sins and impurities to remain in covenant relationship with the Lord. Uh, the last feast, the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of ingathering uh, occurs in the seventh month, and this is the completion of the harvest season. Uh, it occurs on the 15th day of the month, and, and it's kind of a great and perfect culmination of the entire festival year because not only does it reflect on God as their provider, the one who has given them great abundance in their harvest season, but then the people are to dwell in these temporary shelters, these booths, uh, and God says in verse 43 that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in these shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So it both reflects on God as provider, but also God as redeemer. Uh, and so this is the end of the harvest season. These feasts were not meant to replace any of the offerings, any of the, uh, the things that we've studied about before in Leviticus, but they were to supplement uh, as uh, Moses says in verse 38, that besides the Lord's Sabbath and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord, you are to follow and observe these feasts. They were appointed by God to constantly remind his people that he was their covenant Lord. He was in relationship with them and he would provide for them because ultimately he had redeemed them and made him his. And then the people were to respond as renewed image bearers, in a sense, that they were to offer worship and obedience to God, that they were a kingdom of priests. They were to reflect his rule to the nations. But ultimately, we do have to remember that this is speaking in somewhat the ideal, that this is kind of written in such a way that when they come into the land, they will reap an abundant harvest, but this is within the covenantal context of the Mosaic Covenant. So we'll get to it later in Leviticus, and if you read Deuteronomy 28, that the idea that blessing and God's favor and his provision of abundance comes from or is conditional on their obedience, that they've agreed to reflect God's character, and if they disobey that, there are consequences. There are curses that will come. Uh, the other important aspect is that weird word convocation. So there are seven particular days of rest reflecting seven throughout the six appointed feasts. There are also seven 
uh, commands to gather in holy convocations. Again, coming back to that number seven. And uh, Scalar put it much better than I could, so I'm just going to read what he wrote. He said, in light of these convocations, in light of these solemn assemblies and gatherings, God did not want the Israelites to come before him simply as individuals. He made these times holy gatherings. The Lord always, emphasizing always, calls individuals into a body of covenant keepers, a covenant community. Knowing that all believers need brothers and sisters to strengthen and encourage them to live as his holy people. The first not good in the Bible that we see is essentially when God looks at Adam and says, it is not good that man should be alone. So God has made us for covenant community. Um, Let's see. Oh, man. I'll have to get this next part in the podcast. Uh, So ultimately then, what do these feasts mean for us? How do they come to us then in the new covenant? So we know that basically the broad themes of God as provider and God as redeemer are fulfilled in Christ. That we read in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power, speaking of the Father, but God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit act inseparably, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We know Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things, speaking of uh, food and clothing, these necessities, will be added to you. That we know our God has redeemed us, and our God will provide for us. And so, we come to the new covenant, and we know that Christ has fulfilled these things. And so, do we have to have any ritual times? Is there any sacred feasts? that we are appointed to follow. And so the short answer is no. There are no new covenant holy days or holidays that, you know, Easter and Christmas, these these things that are remnants of the liturgical calendar aren't required by us to follow. We do them because they are great times where where our broader culture are maybe more um, sympathetic to spiritual things. They're great opportunities to invite uh, your friends, your family, your neighbors, to hear the gospel presented. But the idea is that we have no longer holy days that are required or appointed to us to follow. And this is ultimately because in Christ, he has, by his resurrection, brought in the new creation. We know in Corinthians, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That the age to come has broken into this present evil age. And so at the sanctuary... All time was sacred time. And so it was only once you got outside of the sanctuary that then there were appointed times that were sacred for the people. But since we now, as the church, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, that you are God's temple. You, plural, God's spirit dwells in you as the church. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so then when we are gathered together as the people of God, all time is sacred. This place is sacred because God's people are gathered here and God's spirit dwells among us. We know that where two or three are gathered, that Christ is there as well. His authority as the leader of the church, the head of the church, is here as we carry out our gathering. But then Paul later in Corinthians says in chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so this is in the context of purity he's speaking in. So there is then a shift from the corporate to also the individual. That you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who you have from God. And so where you go 
is sacred space. You go as a priest of God. And so where your time is, is also sacred time. Uh, there's a great quote from a guy named Irenaeus, who's from the second century. Uh, just as an aside, if you are a lover of Christian books, I would encourage you to read from all ages of the church history. My boy Irenaeus is the best. Uh, I can recommend a book to you if you want. No, okay. I guess I'm the only book nerd. All right, and so he says, so his, his context of his quote is he's speaking of what do we do with the Old Covenant as New Covenant believers. And he's reflecting on Galatians 3 where Paul says it is a tutor meant to lead you to Christ. And he says this concerning the idea of sacred time. There will be no command to remain idle for one day of rest. So the, the fourth commandment, the remember the Sabbath day. To him, to that person who perpetually keeps Sabbath. That is to say, who in the temple of God, which is man's body, does service to God and in every hour works righteousness. And so you are a priest of God, a priestess of God, who where you live, work, learn, and play are bringing with you the Holy Spirit. And so those areas of your life are now sacred areas. And so then they should reflect God's character, God's wisdom, God's commands as you continue on. Uh, wrapping up, so then we don't have any feasts per se, in terms of appointed times, but are there any ways that the new covenant people of God remember and commemorate our great covenantal Lord? And so essentially these are, as, as the Protestant tradition, we only have what's two sacraments or ordinances. Steve would kill me for calling them sacraments, but he's not here right now. So I can do what I want. I have the mic. But so we have two ordinances for the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that are commanded by God for us to perform as his body. And so baptism signifies our union with Christ. It is a one-time act saying, look, I have died with Christ, I have passed through the waters of judgment, and I am raised to new life in him. And so the Lord's Supper then is our perpetual reminder of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us to redeem us. And so in the Lord's Supper, we remember God our Redeemer. We also remember God our Provider. And so he has provided with us new life uh, that we then go and serve and honor him. And so, uh, boom, did it. Only four minutes late. So uh, I apologize if that was a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, but again, uh, just remember that, so the big takeaway is that we are, as the church and as individuals, priests of God. We are a kingdom of priests, I think as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so this means that every area of our life, there is no spot that can be compartmentalized off um, from understanding that God is in control. He is sovereign over it, and we are to reflect him and his goodness and his character in all those areas. Bill, I think last week or maybe a few weeks ago had said the kind of the last thing that gets converted of a person uh, is his money. And if we're honest, number two is probably our time. Uh, our time, we usually will say, is very valuable to us, but ultimately our time is sacred time. This is time that God... Uh, is owed from us. And so with that, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, it was a lot to get through, uh, but Lord, you, uh, even in such a small window of time, Lord, all of time is yours. Uh, and so, um, Lord, we pray that as a church, uh, we would remember the truth that your spirit uh, dwells in us. Lord, when we gather, we are living stones that make up the temple of God. Lord, this time is holy. Lord, this time is sacred. 
Lord, this time should be prioritized. Lord, this time should be focused on you. Lord, you have commanded us to gather, uh, to have holy convocations, Lord, sacred assemblies. Uh, Lord, we know also that we individually, Lord, at, at the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in Acts 2 at Pentecost, Lord, the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks, Lord, you uh, are beginning the harvest season in the Feast of Weeks, and in Pentecost, Lord, you are beginning the harvest of souls, Lord, that you are drawing to yourself, uh, Lord, the, the metaphors that are so rich throughout the New Testament of winning uh, people to Christ, making disciples. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to evaluate every moment of our time. Lord, work, hobbies, uh, schooling, Lord, um, time with our families, Lord, parenting, uh, being a husband, being a wife, being a grandparent, Lord, being an, a niece, an uncle, an aunt. Lord, all these times we go as priests, and they are sacred moments when we can reflect either the joy of your provision, Lord, or to present the joy of your redemption. Uh, and so, Lord, I thank you uh, for this church family. Lord, I thank you for this covenant community that we are gathered together with. And, uh, Lord, yeah, teach us to understand that we all have gifts, like uh, David said. And, and, Lord, we all have roles to serve the body, to love one another, to encourage one another as we go about our day. Uh, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.